have a very special guest this morning. Um, we had uh, some friends fly in from uh, really all over the country to be a part of uh, yesterday's gathering for our family. And one of the people we knew was coming had been Dear Dear Four, Foursquare Missions International. Um, they have pastored as a family. They've also been um, missionary, Foursquare missionaries to the Dominican Republic for several years. And uh, they serve God globally. And I get excited anytime we get to be influenced in our church family by a, a bit of a bigger perspective than just what is happening locally in our neighborhood, in our little community here in Santa Maria. Because you know what? The world is a big place. And it can be easy to forget that. We all can get tunnel vision, like, you know, this is my life, this is my house, I live on this street, and it's like, you know, we just get in our little bubble. But God loves the entire world. God has a heart for more than only Santa Maria. And so when I knew Rich was going to be here, and Rich specifically works to train future missionaries. So if you ever have that call in your heart Come on up, Rich. If you ever sense that call, you may be hanging out with Pastor Rich Root. But, man, we are so thankful to have you and your family here with us and uh, to support people like Joel and Veronica Adiola, our missionaries. And uh, you're going to be raising up the future generations. So if anyone to talk missions after the service, uh, connect with these guys. But, man, oh, it's man. an honor to have you here. Bring the word, bro. Thank Love you, you so Thank much, you. Tim. Love you guys. Don't you love this family? Seriously, right? So, so blessed by them. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, you're supposed to say nice things about the pastor when you come. But this, this Tim and Kelly have been such an amazing part of our life. A key, moment, key moments, especially. Uh, my wife and I, uh, met, we met them, them in 2003, right? That was before Esther was born. <laughs> it, 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 up in Olympia, the Church of Living Water, and um, there's an image that is really important to my wife and I's heart, and it's that of being a bridge, to be a bridge, to help people connect to what God is doing, what God is doing in their life, to their destiny, to their call, the kingdom of God, and I can tell you, they have been a bridge for us. And the most dramatic example of that, just to take one, is... In 2005, we went on a mission trip down to the Dominican Republic, a country we'd actually never really even thought about or almost never heard of. But in our hearts, my wife and I had shared this dream for several years of going to Latin America to be missionaries. And we didn't know when or how that was going to look. And we had three little kids. But as we started to prepare to go on that mission trip with Tim and some young adults from the discipleship program we were part of there, helping out with that, Something started stirring in our hearts, and we met the missionaries down there, and they invited us to come and serve with them. And we thought, wow, this is the time, and this is the place. Yeah. And about a year later, we moved down there, but made a two-year commitment. We're going for a couple years. We ended up staying for seven. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> so anyway, I just want to publicly thank you guys for being a bridge in our life. And... Um, they are champions for, for people. If you want to pursue the call of God, if you want to do something for the Lord, if something's stirring in you, and I say, I want to serve Jesus at a greater level, they will champion you. They will push you forward. They will kick you in the butt. They will do whatever. <laughs> right? So thank you. Before we pray and get into the Word, I had a quick story. Just a couple of weeks, weeks ago, I traveled. Um, I live in Tacoma, Washington. I have three children, a 22-year-old daughter who's married, and uh, I got to marry her a couple years ago. I had a son who's just turned 19, and then my daughter Esther here. Uh, by the way, um, I met uh, one of our four-score pastors I hadn't met uh, yesterday at the wedding. It was really cool, and an uh, older gentleman who said, they were talking about the next generation, the younger generation, and referring to me. <laughs> and I said, uh, you know what? The younger generation isn't so young anymore. <laughs> I have a, I have a grand, we have a granddaughter from our firstborn who got married two years ago who's now one years old. <laughs> so, yeah. So the young next generation are grandfathers. <laughs> 
Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, I, w- uh, I was going to travel uh, to a missions conference in the state of Montana, somewhere up in the mountains. And so I rearranged my whole plan so I could, instead of flying into this one city, I was going to fly into Bozeman, Montana. The reason being because I have my, my son moved there several months ago to live with grandma and grandpa. He just felt kind of led by the Lord. I'm going to go out to Montana. I'm going to step out, leave my parents' house. And, and he's there, but we miss him terribly. Man, he's a great, great guy. Josiah, we love that kid, but we miss him. And so I'm like, I am going to fly in early. I'm going to get to Bozeman. I'm going to spend a few hours with my son. And I'm going to drive to this camp up in the mountains in Montana. So I get up really early, like 545. I I get ready. I got my stuff packed up. I'm ready to go. I hop in the car. I drive. The traffic's not that bad, which is a miracle anywhere near Seattle. (laughs) I get to the airport with enough time. There's a long line in security, but I got through pretty quick. I got to my gate. And my wife hates this about me. <laughs> Whenever we travel, I don't want to be the first one on the plane. I want to be the very last one on the plane. I'm like, people, it's not going anywhere right now. It's, it, you know, we're all going to get on, right? It's not like first, sorry, you weren't the first three people, you know. So I, like, I don't like to sit on the plane any longer than I have to. I don't like it in there. You know, I, I just want to wait. Well, well, this time, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't go eat, and I didn't get, do, wander around. I just sat at the gate. But as I sat down, I, 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 made, I had a couple assumptions. One, I, I assumed that people sitting all around me were on the same flight as me. And so whenever it's time to get on, they're just, that people start moving. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with these guys. The other thing I assumed was that I was going to hear this announcement. You know, flight leaving for Bozeman, Montana. E, da, 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 da. Okay. And so I just... I just kind of sat there, and I wasn't watching at the time, and I was just kind of on my phone. My wife was texting me about stuff, and just no, nothing was happening. And in the back of my mind, I'm waiting to hear boarding for Bozeman. I, I never heard it. Never, ever heard it. Next thing I know, I look, and I look at the clock, and I realize it's the time when the plane is supposed to be leaving, like flying. And I jump up, and I run up there, and I'm like, I'm supposed to be on this flight. And it was too late. It was already pulling away. And I was like, is there anything you can do? And, the, and the, there wasn't. Now, this might sound silly to you, but I was so, I was devastated. I was so frustrated. I literally missed my plane sitting at the gate. And instead of spending a day that morning with my son, I sat alone in the airport for five hours lamenting and regretting over and over in my mind that I missed my plane while sitting at the gate. I was so sad and so disappointed. So as we go to pray this morning, I'm gonna, first of all, I want to say congratulations. You're here. You made it. You came this morning, right? But you're at the gate. First of all, don't assume that you know what God's going to do or say to you today. Let's be attentive to his voice. <laughs> Number two, I know we got a lot going on in our minds all the time. But right now is the time to, to listen to the Lord because he's got something for you. He's inviting you not just to show up but to get on board. Amen. So as you pray, will you just open your heart and your mind up? to what the Lord has for you today. Jesus, we come to you. We are here, and we're listening, and we're attentive, God. Lord, we need you, and we, we, we understand that you have invited us not just to show up, God, but to get on board with what you are saying today and to go where you want to take us. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here, your beloved sons and daughters, Lord, that you would speak deeply into their hearts and into my heart today through your word. Here in your presence, Jesus, we listen for you, for your words. We listen for your voice, and I pray that you would do a deep and lasting work in our hearts today, Lord. I pray that we won't be the same because of you today. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. As I began to pray, as as Tim invited me to come, I, I, I felt like this was... This is what God had for us today. This is what God has for you and me today. Doesn't mean my notes weren't ready until 10 p.m. last night, but I was praying about it a long time ago, and I know this is what God had for us. 
But I want to look at a person in the Bible who doesn't get very much attention. But his story, I think, is one of the most powerful illustrations of the gospel that I can think of. And his name is Mephibosheth. Anybody name your kid that? It's a beautiful name. Just, I want to give you some backdrop really quickly as I see the time going down. David, at this moment, is the king of Israel. We all know about David, right? He's God's anointed. His kingdom has now been recently firmly established as the king of Israel. The king before him was Saul. So Saul had been chosen as the first king of Israel. He seemed to have everything he needed for success, right? He had uh, the, the, the powerful prophet Samuel as his advisor, as his uh, sponsor. He was tall. He was strong. The people followed him as he went into battle. All those things that seemed necessary for success. But as time went on, things didn't go well for Saul. Again and again, he disobeyed God. He cared more about what the people thought than what God thought. And then what God said, and he spiraled downward into jealousy and hatred and spiritual darkness. Well, Saul had a son named. Nope. Oh, gotcha. No candy on that one. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Saul had a son named Jonathan. And he and David had been best friends, right? They had actually made a covenant of friendship together. But things became difficult for them when Saul became jealous and hateful towards David, and he was hunting David, trying to kill him for years. I think sometimes friendships can be complicated, but I think they get even more complicated when your dad is trying to kill your best friend. (laughs) Right? So, but David was God's anointed and a man after God's own heart, but King Saul had made himself an enemy of David. So, and, and sadly, in one day, both King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle. And at that time, Jonathan had a little boy who was only five years old. And on that tragic day, that little boy lost his daddy and he lost his grandfather. But that's not all he lost, if that's not enough. We read a quick snapshot about the boy in 2 Samuel 4.4, which is... I believe on the screen here. And in, my, in this version of the Bible I have, it, it strikes me that this, this little thing I'm going to read is in parentheses, almost like, oh yeah, this happened, but it's not really a big deal. You ever feel like that? Like the, 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 the tragic losses in your life are sort of just like, oh, this happened, but yeah, just move on. It's not a big deal. It just struck me when I read this. It said, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet, He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, the news that they had been killed. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Wow, that is a bad day. That's tragic. And from a very, very young age, we see how Mephibosheth suffers the devastating results of sin and and just the brokenness in the world just from his family line and in just in the world he was born into five years old so you flash forward many years david is now king on the throne in jerusalem his kingdom established by the way jerusalem means city of peace jerusalem city of shalom Isn't that awesome Shalom, well-being, blessing, abundance, peace in every sense of the word. Mephibosheth, now an adult, is living in an isolated and anonymous life in a place very far from Jerusalem called Lodabar. I looked on a map. It's a 40-hour walk from Jerusalem to Lodabar. Lodabar, by the way, means one of two things or both. No pasture. Or no word. Whatever it is, it's a barren, it's an isolated place. So there's nothing of significance there. And that's where he lived. So I'm going to read right now 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 11. I wanted to set this up for you so you'll understand a little bit more of the, 
what's happening here. So David asked, he's king on the throne, he said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? He was thinking of the covenant that he had made with his beloved friend, Jonathan. And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king answered. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel and Lodabar. So Mephibosheth, now an adult, he's living probably in hiding in a place called Lodabar, this place of no pasture, no word. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid. Why, did, why was he afraid? Why did he have to tell him, don't be afraid? Well, the protocol, especially in those days, was that when a new king took power, they would execute the royal family from before to eliminate any possibility that a, a previous heir would try to come and, and retake uh, authority over the throne. Right. And so he's thinking, what possible reason could this King David have for calling me all the way from Lodabar to Jerusalem. Maybe he must be having a really bad day and he wants to take it out on me. Probably is what he was thinking. He's like, this is, this is where, how it ends. He says, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore. Say it with me. Restore. I will Restore. To you, all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. <laughs> Mephibosheth bowed down and said, Why is your servant, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Notice his sense of identity. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward. He said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. I didn't get this, the last two verses on there, but it's amazing. He said, it says that Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, or Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Side note. It, I, I, as, I, as I read this, I just realized, man, not only Mephi did Mephibosheth's life change like that, but whoever this, this little boy, Mika, I don't know, we don't read anything else about him in Scripture. Well, that was a game changer for that little guy, too. Yeah. Guys, this is a story about the gospel. Yeah. If there was ever a story about the gospel, this is a story about the gospel, about the good news. It's about the devastating results of sin and the grace that restores us. This is a story about mercy and about kindness. This is a story about tragic loss and about restoration. And I also believe it's a story about identity. So if you just look at Mephibosheth, he belonged to the royal family at his birth, right? He was the, born the grandson of the king, the son of Jonathan, the prince of Israel. He was born in the, into the palace where the king lived. He had a place at the table just because of who he was, who his father was. He was a royal son. He was in the inner circle, right? And then you begin to see the, 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 the impact of the loss in his life, the devastating results of sin, even just the generational results. He, he, Mephibosheth suffered the results of sin in the world and in his family from a very young age. And if you're like me, maybe it seems unfair that a, boy, a little five-year-old boy would suffer the results of the violence and the loss 
right, through other people's choices and, and just the brokenness of this world? I would agree. But the reality in this life is that we all suffer the results of other people's choices. And other people, especially those closest to us, especially our families, are impacted by our, by our choices as well. We're all in this together as the human race. We are all in this together. Romans 3.23 says it so concisely and clearly, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are exempt from the repercussions of sin in the world and in our own lives. But the good news, the good news is that none of us are outside the reach of God's restoration through Jesus. None of us are outside the reach of God's restoration through Jesus, our King, our Savior King. But the reality is when it comes to generational results of sin or or just the sin around us in this world, we're all impacted. We see it spiritually, we see it socially, we see it personally, we feel it. And just looking at Mephibosheth as an example, we can see and talk about many tragic results of sin as a domino effect of losses. As, we, as we're born and as we grow, we, we experience one loss after another. Loss is part of our human experience because of sin in our life, sin in this world. And if you think about your story, we, we, you see it, you feel it. Over 10 years ago, I lost my father as he lost a, a, a terrible battle with depression. It took his life. Sometimes we lose innocence and purity. I remember as, as, as just a five-year-old boy, I wandered over to a park and I, and I found graphic material that, began, that, I, that I saw for the very first time that began to burn itself into my mind. Five years old. I witnessed a, a, a family member close to me being abused by, by people in our neighborhood at a, when I was about six. And I know if, if we all shared our stories, we'd all have things that we would say, I lost I lost things that were important. I lost things that were, that were incredibly valuable. I lost things that were precious through the experiences. And so I want to I talk about three areas. There's many more we can talk about, but I want to talk about three areas of loss and restoration through the story of Mephibosheth that I think every one of us can relate to. And the first one is a loss of place. A loss of place. Another word for place is Belonging. Right? For five short years, Mephibosheth, he was at the center of who's who in Israel. He belonged. He was a member of the royal family. He didn't even think about it. He just, it, that was his reality. But in one day, he became at best an outcast. At worst, an enemy of the kingdom. He became a reject. He became a, he became a complete outsider. Like that. Do you know that feeling? You know the feeling of being an outsider, of not belonging? I think we all know the feeling of feeling like we're on the outside looking in. It looks different for different people for different reasons, but it's in some way or another, we all know the feeling of being an outsider, of not getting picked for the team, or not getting invited, or, not, or just being flat out rejected by people that we thought loved us. Why is this experience so familiar to all of us, but it's still so painful? This loss of place started a long, long time ago in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve rebelled, they disobeyed God. One of the immediate and most devastating results was that they had to leave the Garden, which was the place where they lived and they thrived in the presence of God their Father. And I believe that to this very day, we all tend to live with this sense of being displaced. We're all trying to find our way back home. We're all trying to find that place where we can settle and a place where we can belong, where we can go, I'm known and I'm loved, and this is where I belong. But the challenge is we can't force our way into belonging, right? We can't work our way or perform our way into belonging, no matter how how much we do or, or, or impress or perform, we have to be invited. <laughs> and I love what David says to Mephibosheth here. He says, he, asks, he inquires and he says, where is he? 
Where is he? That's a word that speaks to place. The king asked, and he says, you know, he's, he's in Lodabar in the house of this guy. So Mephibosheth is living there. And so it says, so King David had him brought. He had him brought from Lodabar to Jerusalem. He never could have just wandered in and say, hey, can I come in? That never would have happened ever, 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 right? The king had to invite him in. And the king did. He sought him out. He brought him in. I think there's this deep longing for home in all of our hearts, right? My my son, I mentioned he just moved to Montana several months ago to to where grandma and grandpa live. Well, growing up, my kids uh, grew up. A couple were born in Washington, Josiah born in California. They grew up seven years in the Dominican Republic. They, they, you know, we've lived again in Washington. We've, we've kind of been in different places. And, I, and, and my kids, they're like, you ask them where are they from? They're not exactly sure, right? Anybody relate to that feeling? But I, I saw in my son this long, he, growing up, he would say, I don't really have a family home. But my memories of coming back from the Dominican Republic to Grandma and Grandpa's house, that's like the closest I feel like that's my family home. And I think there's this, this, this longing in all of our hearts. Like, I want to find where I, my, my home. I was, as I reflected on this, something spoke to me really deeply. I thought about Moses. I thought about Moses, and I, he was born a Hebrew into a Hebrew family. He grew up in the Egyptian house, palace. Later on, things got complicated, and, he, and, and, and he, he ran away and he lived in Midian for many, many years in a whole another place, and then he came back to Egypt, and he's trying to get his people out. Across. I mean, it, you go up to Moses and say, hey, bro, where are you from? <laughs> right? He's like, well, it's kind of complicated. Well, where are you from? Yeah, it's kind of a long story, Right? And there's this beautiful verse in Psalm 90. There's one recorded psalm that Moses wrote that we know of, that I I know of. (laughs) Psalm 90, verse 1. I've loved this verse forever, and I never saw it like this. It says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. I think Moses said, I found my home, and it's in the presence of the king. The present, our home is in the presence of our king. And there's an invitation to say, come home and take your seat at the king's table. That is where you belong. That is home. Welcome home. The best meal, one of the best meals to this day my wife and I ever shared was in the Dominican Republic. There's this mountainous place. You can see the ocean, but it's in the mountain. There's no electricity, no running water, and we took four-wheelers to get up there. It's just amazing. There's this couple from New York that had helped to do some work in the community there, and they wanted, this young couple had uh, wanted to thank them for, for some things that they had done to help them out. So these people, they spent all day preparing this young goat, and they cooked it in this big metal pot over an open flame, like all day long. And all these vegetables and rice and beans and, and fruit juice, everything just natural, right? And Kirsten was a little nervous. She was like, I don't know what this meat's going to taste like. But it was cooked in coconut oil all day long over this open flame. Oh, my goodness. You take one bite and you're like, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. It was incredible. But to this day, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget, we, we, we sat around the table and they, and they, and they served us and the, the husband, the young husband sat down, and there was a couple ladies who'd just been cooking and serving. And, and so we were like, this is amazing. And, and we said to the wife, like, hey, why don't you sit down and eat with us? Sit down and join us. Sit down next to your husband. Eat with us. And for a split second, I saw in her eyes like she was just about to sit down and join us. And then she's like, she backed away. And, and, and never, we could never convince her. She never sat down to eat. And uh, I mean... You know, maybe she just didn't feel comfortable, cultural stuff, whatever it was. But, but to this day, we're always like, it's okay. Just sit down and enjoy the meal with us. And I don't know if you've been a believer for a while or, or, or if you don't even know Christ for real or whatever your situation is. But I just feel the heart of Jesus, the King, saying, just sit down with me. 
Here's your place. Maybe you've just been working too hard for, and, and, and a lot of it's just stuff that is important, but Jesus is like, this is your, come and sit. Come and sit. There's a place for you. So the application, there's a restoration of place. The heart of the gospel is being brought back and restored into the place where we belong, into the presence of the king. There is a seat, my friends, there is a seat at the king's table for you. You're seated with Christ. That's the invitation. That's amazing, isn't it? We should be the ones being like, we're doing all this work for you, Jesus. And he's like, you're seated next to me. Ephesians 2 tells us that there are no foreigners or outsiders in the family of God. Because you belong to the Father, you belong to the family. The next, uh, I want to talk about another area of loss and restoration, which is identity. Mephibosheth was born a royal son, right? I mean, he had an identity. He was somebody. But he became a nobody like that. He shifted. All that changed. And sin has a way of damaging our, our identity deeply, doesn't it? We don't know who we are because we don't know whose we are. It's a, again, it's this idea of belonging. We're all trying to figure out who we are, and we're trying to prove to ourselves and to, some, and, and, and to everybody else that, that we're somebody because we carry that sense of loss of identity within us. It doesn't matter if, you know, teenagers are famous for this, but don't, we all know that doesn't end when we turn 19, 20, 21, right? That, that, that sense of who am I, <laughs> it, 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 it continues with us. And then David says, hey, don't be afraid. You know, come, welcome. You're going to sit at my table. And Mephibosheth said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Where did he get that idea about himself? I don't think there's any probably description lower that he could have used about himself. I mean, in their culture, dogs were like accursed animals. The only thing worse than a dog to them probably would be a dead dog. I mean, seriously. I mean, he picked probably like the worst like image of himself that he could use. Where did that idea about himself come from? It didn't come when he was born. It didn't come from his first five years of life. Yeah. Nearly everything about his life, his, his growing up, from five on, and the, everything about his life, everything that had happened to him, the world that shaped him, led him to believe that he was worth nothing. But David treats him like a royal son, and in so doing, he restores both his identity and his dignity. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons, just as one of the king's sons. My friend, where does your identity come from? Where does it come from? Does it come from what's happened to you? Does it come from what the world around us has told you? What people have said or done? Or does it come from the king? What David did for Mephibosheth, Jesus has done the exact same thing for you and for me. There's this beautiful thing that we read about in Romans called the spirit of adoption. One of my favorite passages is Romans 8, 15, and 16. It says this, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm, to tell us who we are, that we are God's children. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I got to share a testimony. I just got a couple more things. Um, interestingly enough, I met, I met a little boy named Felix when he was five years old. He was a Haitian, little Haitian boy that had come to the Dominican Republic where we lived. 
But I didn't meet him at first. I, I, I knew his mother. I met his mother. She was a young, a young lady who had come to be, she had gotten saved in a four-square church. She came to our discipleship program. We rented out a house that we renovated, and some young ladies came and lived in this home, and they were in, in the Word and worship, and we were serving together. And um, for months, uh, his mom was part of our program. We had, we and almost anyone we knew, we had absolutely zero idea about Felix. Never heard a thing. No one knew. And as God began to do a work of restoration and ministry in, in the life of, of, of his mama, one day she told me, you know that little boy Felix? She's like, that's not, that's not my brother. That's my son. It, when she was only 13 years old, she became pregnant when she when a, a supposed family friend had violated her in her own home. And Anna had grown up, his mom had grown up without a father. Her, her son, Felix, was growing up without a father, but for all intents and purposes, without a mother. Because she never, because of the pain in her life, she never ever allowed him to call her mom. And when she moved into the house, he was kind of there in this, in the, in this, in this neighborhood kind of a dangerous place where he just kind of grew up. His grandma was there, but he wasn't safe at all. He would just kind of wander alone oftentimes. And, and when God began to do a work of restoration in her heart, I remember one morning after months of being in the Word and in worship and in, and in class and discipleship, she came out and she said, I know who I am. She says, I'm a daughter of the King. It was like, the Holy Spirit turned on the light bulb and she's like, I know who I am. I am a daughter of the King. And my wife and I had a chance to minister to her and lead her through a process of restoration where she was able to begin to forgive all the people who had hurt her in her life. And she said, it was like I had a, a backpack full of rocks on my back and I began to take them out until I was just completely free of that weight that I had carried. And guess what happened when, when the Lord restored her? She was able to begin to love Felix. And she said, I need my son with me. She said, I'm, she began to call him son and let her, Felix call her mom. And then she said, I'm concerned. She came to us shortly after. She said, I'm concerned for Felix because he's just in a vulnerable place and something's going to happen to him. She's like, would it be okay if we brought him to live in the discipleship house? I said, heck yes. Uh, and so all of a sudden, little Felix, who was rejected and, and, and didn't have a dad or a mom, all of a sudden he had not only a mom, but he had a place to belong where he was getting loved on every day, not only by her, but like all these young ladies who loved Jesus and were just loving on him and hugging him. And I remember we had pictures of a birthday party we threw for him. It's just amazing. Re restoration of place. He, he, found, he, he came home. And it wasn't the house, it was, it was family. A restoration of identity. He became a son. He became a son. We also see how Mephibosheth was broken through the, the fall, right? We see the brokenness that happened. And the Bible describes our situation because of sin as being powerless, meaning we can't fix ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. We want to tell ourselves sometimes, right, that we're self-sufficient or we can, we can fix this, but we can't. And I've discovered that the, the secret of the Christian life is not to become independent and self-sufficient. It's just the opposite. It's to become dependent. David said to Mephibosheth, listen, I'm going to take care of you. I know you're broken, but I'm going to take care of you every day of your life. And when we come to Jesus, we, we, we receive that same promise. So the first truth, let me just really quickly read a couple more scriptures. Romans 8, 31, 32 says this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? 
So the first truth that I want you to embrace, whether you consider yourself a believer in Christ or not, that there is a seat at the table for you. You have a place. You belong. You are significant as a son or a daughter. The king has sought you out. He has brought you in. And he's promised, I will care for you. I know your brokenness. But I will care for you. You just have to accept that. Have you taken your place at the king's table? So here's where I talk about missions. Can I just have a couple more minutes? <laughs> In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, we read these words. And these words were written to a group of people that were also outsiders and rejected and on the outside looking in, called the Gentiles. Ever heard of these people? <laughs> Everybody who is not a Jewish person by, by birth, you know, the Jews were, were, they knew they were the chosen people of God. They knew they were God's treasured possession because he told them back in the beginning. But the problem is, even though they knew they were chosen, they were the this, this special treasure of God, they forgot why they were chosen. Because it, not only were they a treasured possession, they were called a kingdom of priests. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter had to, is writing to this group of Gentile believers who had, who had come from, from the outside in and they had been welcomed into the kingdom of God, but they were going through difficult times and they were facing persecution and they were facing hard times and Peter reminds them of their identity with these words. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says you're chosen. You are wanted. You are welcomed. You're sought out. You were brought in. You weren't, and now you are. He says you're a holy nation. What does that mean? Well, he defines it. He says you are God's special possession. You belong to God. It doesn't mean you don't, holy doesn't mean you don't have a, uh, anything bad in your past. You have this, this clean track record where you can say, oh, look at me, I'm so holy. No, holy just means that you are God's special possession. If you belong to God, that makes you holy. And the more that we understand and accept that, the more we live as the holy people that we are. He's saying, Lord, everything I am is yours. I belong to you. But then he says, by the way, you're a royal priesthood. We're royal because we are the kings, right? We are called and we're authorized to represent the king and his kingdom in this world. You are called royal because you are a royal son or daughter. But what's this priesthood thing? Well, there's so much we could say about it, but one thing that captured my attention is is. Just the, the Latin word for priest is this word pontifex. It's two words combined. It means bridge. Like puente. Ever heard of the puente? The bridge. And the other word means builder. Bridge maker. Bridge builder. You're royal. Bridge builder. Isn't that incredible? You are authorized and called to build bridges between the king and his table. And the people who are far from God, who are cut off, who are broken, who are isolated, who are living in a place where they're never going to be able to come unless they're invited to the table. So if truth number one is that you need to accept that there is a seat at the king's table for you, that you are royalty, if you are part of the family of God, then the, the second truth that you need to take home with you today is that there is a seat at the, not only is there a seat at the king's table for you, there is a seat at the king's table next to you. That's the heart of missions right there. Because when Jesus brings us in, after he brings us in, he sends us out. Jesus restores us so he can reach out through us. It's that simple. 
And it might be here in Santa Maria, it may be around the world somewhere where literally billions of people do not know that there is an invitation for them or a seat at the king's, <laughs> the king's table. And we are the messengers. It's that simple. Will you please come? We're going to conclude and just respond to the Lord this morning. Thank you for your attentiveness. The Lord loves you deeply. And there's, again, there's two things. The Lord is saying to us today. Again, the first one is that there's a seat at the table for you. And, the, and, and in that place, there is restoration. There's a place of belonging. There's a place at the king's table where you have been welcomed. You have been chosen. You've been brought and beckoned into his presence. And there you belong. There's a place of identity where you, you are a beloved son and a daughter. Where the only one who really matters can tell you who you are. And all those other voices have to fade into the background and disappear as the king tells you who you are. And there is a, a restoration of our brokenness where the king says, I will take care of you. I am enough for you. No matter what you're facing, whatever, whatever the, the lack or the need is, I will care for you because you're family to me. My question this morning is, will you accept the king's invitation? Maybe you've never actually truly made that decision and, or maybe um, you, you have in the past or you consider yourself a believer but there's something inside of you that's, that's sort of distanced you, held you back. You feel like you're on the outside looking in and the king is saying, come today. And if you feel, the, if, if, if you want to say, yeah, I'm going to take a step of faith and say, okay, Do what you need to do to respond to King Jesus this morning. You can come to the altar and get prayer, or you can just sit there and open your heart and talk to him about it, or whatever you need to do to, 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 to truly just say, here, I'm here, and I, I, I accept the grace, I accept this gift of belonging, of identity, of, of restoration, of healing. hesitate to come. If you need to come and get prayer, please. But the second truth is this. There is a seat at the table next to you. Because you're a royal priesthood. Amen. And, I, and if you could just picture in your mind that you're there with Jesus at this table and there's a beautiful banquet and it's such a beautiful sweet presence. And there's a seat right next to you that's empty. Whose name is written on that seat, in that empty seat? Can you see it in your mind? Can you see someone's name written there? Because they probably don't know that they belong. They don't know who they are. They don't know there's restoration for their brokenness until they hear and until they're invited. And you're the bridge builder between the king's table and the city of Shalom and a place far off where it seems like there's absolutely no hope. And you're called literally to invite them and welcome them to take their seat at the table of the king where they too become a son or a daughter. Restoration starts at the table of the king. And then he saves us and he sends us out. Amen. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you for what for 
welcoming us with open arms, with the, with the gift of grace that we could never earn or deserve. You sought us out. And we hear, you, you, we hear your call to both take our place at, this, at, the, at your seat today as well. I send out the invitation and the word that there is an empty seat right here. If you're here this morning and you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. Just say, Rich, will you just pray for me because I, man, I'm struggling. I've, I've got all this stuff, whatever it may be. And, and I don't have it all figured out. It, it feels complicated, but I know in my heart that my place of belonging is in the presence of King Jesus. And I'm coming to take what I feel like I may not deserve, but it doesn't matter because I'm coming. Because I've got enough faith to believe that this is for me. Can I pray for you today? Would you just raise your hand so I can... Thank you. I see you. Yep, I see you. Anyone else? Awesome. And, and number two, if God stirred your heart this morning and you realize... I'm that person. I'm that bridge. I know that I'm royalty. I know I've been chosen. But I realize this is my time and my place to say welcome, to begin to welcome other people into that place that Jesus paid the, the highest price for. If in your heart God is stirring you to say, I wanna, I'm going to be that bridge. I'm going to be that royal bridge builder. Would you also just um, res respond this morning to the Lord? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We just stand to your feet with me and we can just pray one more time and, and, and conclude. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you, God. We say yes. We thank you for all that you have done and we accept by faith your gift of grace. Lord, I pray for this, this family, Lord Jesus, that these, these seats, God, would begin to be filled, God with people who have been living, God, in a desolate place, and they will come and they will discover a place of belonging and a place of restoration more and more. Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit on my brothers and my sisters, on your sons and daughters, to live out, God, this amazing, amazing call in Jesus' name.